This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a show where we discuss how to navigate the highs and lows of the human condition. Each week, we address a new topic, and we see that there are two choices we can make. We can lower the bar, go with the flow, and react to what the world throws at us, or we can be proactive, deciding in advance how we want to live, and in essence, rise above the human condition. We hope the discussion today is just what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human podcast. Uh, You chose a really good time to jump in and join us. Uh, We are currently in the middle of a series called Transcendent Parenting. Uh, So for those of you just jumping in, um, here's a quick overview of where we've been. So week one, uh, it was called First Things First, and we we took a whole episode to talk about marriage and the importance of marriage, um, having a really solid foundation before you even jump into the whole concept of having kids. Then week two, we moved into Parenting Isn't Optional, uh, basically discussing the the high calling that it is to have kids and how important a role it is. Um, And then week three, we talked about parenting through the stages. So we kind of talked about what kids are like and what the parenting um, looks like at each of the different stages a kid goes through from birth to 18. So today we are developing a parenting plan of attack. So we're trying to get really practical and trying to, to go into some things that Um, are really kind of at the heart of what it means to parent. Um, And so this is going to be a fun episode. We're glad you're with us. Um, As always, I have Tammy with me. So welcome back. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. All right. So in our minute of parenting transparency uh, this week, uh, I just wanted to kind of talk through proactive parenting or, you know, parenting ahead of the the actual events. So what that looks like and, and you know, how, how parents can do that, or I guess we should even start with whether or not we did that. Um, so that's a, a good question to kind of start things off. So before we had kids, do you feel like we were proactive in the way we were like literally determining how we were going to parent before the kids even came? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure that there were things that we didn't plan for, or didn't think about because I just don't think there's any way to like lay all everything out. But I feel like we definitely went into it knowing some of the big things, like understanding that these were some of the things that we were going to do or weren't going to do, that this is how we were going to handle our kids, that whether we were going to spank or not going to spank, um, what the spank, you know, if we did, what the if there were consequences, why there would be consequences. Like, so, I mean, we definitely had some of those things planned out, but I don't think we had every single thing planned out. True. True. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. So another piece to that then is, is kind of where that came from. So do you think, like, did we come up with those things just off the top of our head or because, you know, our experience with our parents and how they parented us or, Did we like read books? Did we do research? Like, how did we come up with those things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination. We all parent the way that we were parented or we parent opposite of the way we were parented, right? Because we look back and we're like, I will never do X, Y, and Z because Mm -hmm. it didn't work out so well for me or I didn't like it. 
So we all bring that in. I mean, it, it just happens. There's nothing we can do about that, I think, sometimes. Um, and then I think for us, it was a combination of, one, we both went to school and were in a field that we learned some basic child development. We learned how to interact with people. We both had a passion for kids. Um, we both worked with kids before we were parents. So I think we learned some things there and took some of that and we read books and school, we read books and, you know, outside of that, I read some books and then we also had people ahead of us. So, you know, we mm -hmm. had people right. that had already had kids and had started that journey. So like one of the things I can think of is we had a family, the Stevens family that we became um, pretty good friends with and their, you know, their kids, they are, were probably four or five years in front of us, maybe even a little more than that, maybe six or seven. And they, you know, one of the things we got from them was they scheduled their kids. So, you know, they, from babies, they had a very set schedule. So we went in watching them, listening to them, hearing their stories, you know, and just seeing how, how their kids were because their youngest is, they have four and their youngest is the same age as our oldest. So they had done it three times before us. And we, I think, appreciated the way that they parented and how their kids were and the walk that they were kind of doing with their kids. And so, you know, we kind of took some of that and said, we're going to make some of our decisions based off of what we've seen with them. So. Yeah, true. Yeah. You said that you read some books on the side and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know that I did like before we, before we really had kids aside from just the basic, you know, like going to school, for social work and mm -hmm. some of the books that we had to read, you know, in that degree, for that degree, I don't recall like reading stuff ahead of time, which is funny because I feel like we've read more, or at least I've read more since having kids <laughs> than, sure. than I did before. But. Sure. And I think most people just start out like you're re like, I mean, for me, I would say that the books I remember reading were more about infancy, right? So more about mm. like, what it's going to be like to be pregnant and what it's going to be like to have kids. But there was some books True. that I was reading that kind of walked you through the different stages of some things. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I think most people walk in, unless you've done some major research in child development or whatever, you're walking in kind of reading at the stage that you're at and trying to learn right. as you go. Right. So. Yeah. And it, and you definitely learn things all along the way. It's not like you're going to figure all of this out at some point in your life and then be able to apply it for the next 10 years yeah. with your kids. Uh, there's definitely stuff we learned. Even, even what was that, like four or five years ago, um, the church did something related to phases or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we got, we got these little cards for yep. each of the different stages of development and, and all of the things that go into that, the, the physical piece to it, the, you know, what their body is doing, mm -hmm. how their brain is working, how, how you can support them, how can, you know, how you can best um, guide them through those phases and yeah. stuff like that. And that was really interesting information. Yeah. It's stuff that you may think like, oh, I kind of have an inkling, but when you actually see it, and you read it again and you're reminded of it again, it's like, oh, oh no, that's right. I didn't realize that or I didn't think about it in that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just, a, it's a constant learning. It's a con, I mean, you're con, it never stops. Like you, you're constantly learning. So. Right. Well, I think we kind of touched on the second question, which is kind of after you have kids, like what were we, um, you know, were we proactive in, learning things about the next stage that they were going to be in or where, or did we kind of fall back into the reactive stage where it was just like, Oh, well, we'll just take it, you know, whatever comes, we'll figure it out when it comes. Yeah. I mean, I would, I think, 
to be honest, we were probably a mix of both. So again, Mm -hmm. some things we had decided in advance, we had thought through, we knew, um, because watching other kids, you know, again, because of our backgrounds, knowing some of the stuff that kids are going to do, the phases that they walk through. But then there's things that happen that you're like, whoa, wait a minute, where did that come from? And you're reactive because you don't have an option in the moment. Like, you know, you haven't, this wasn't something specific that you had planned for, you know, uh, so you, and sometimes even you're reactive in the moment that like a kid does something while mom or dad is home with them and the other person's not there. And it's not something that you've talked about. It's not a decision you've made together as a couple, but you have to react in the moment. Like mm-hmm. there has to be a reaction. There has to be, you know, something has to be done right then and right there. It can't wait. I mean, we were definitely not one of those couples that was like, oh, I'm going to wait till your dad gets home and then we're going to deal with it. Most of the time that we didn't do it that way because it was like, no, this was the behavior right now. And we're going to handle this behavior right now. Like, so, um, but yeah, so I, I think it was, a I I think it's a mix like you, cause you just can't plan for everything that's going to happen. So you're going to be reactive and, and, and that's the beauty. Like sometimes you're going to react and it's not going to be the right thing, but then you're going to have to go back to your kids and apologize and say, Hey, I screwed that up. That wasn't right. I didn't do that the right way. And it shows them that you're human and that you don't always have all the answers. And it gives them permission as they grow older and as they learn to not always have all the answers either. So. True. Okay, cool. All right. So let's move into our topic. Like we said, plan parenting plan of attack is a topic for today. And we're going to walk through three different ideas or concepts with you. The first is proactive parenting. The second is the just love culture. And then the third is making your home a safe place. So number one, proactive parenting. So we just, you know, we just talked through in the minute of transparency, right? Some of the things that um, that we had kind of gone through prior to kids and after kids. It's obvious that we aren't perfect, right? We didn't have it all figured out. Um, there were things that we had to learn the hard way. Uh, you know, there are times when we had to scramble and kind of come up with a plan in the heat of the moment. But looking back, I think we would both agree that having a plan is much better if possible. So being proactive, thinking ahead, having kind of a, a game plan in you know in a variety of situations, here's how we want to react to the situation in advance so that so that you kind of have that plan in place. So what does that even look like, right? Well, the best way to start is to kind of define what we're talking about. So we're talking about what being proactive versus being reactive. And proactive, I mean, just breaking the word down, pro is before, active is doing something. So doing something before or deciding in advance what we want to do or how we want to parent versus being reactive, which obviously is like, you know, it's very impulsive, right? Something something comes into your life and you just have to make a decision on this on the spur of the moment. Um, And that's really the difference between the two. So what we're going to try to do here, we're going to try to get practical. And we've got like four or five different um, ways that you can be proactive, that you can decide in advance um, how you want to handle things in these areas. Um, And so we'll just kind of alternate through and I'll let uh, you can go ahead and start on the first one. Okay. So the first one is that we are always on. Be on and remember that you are always on. And we talked a little bit about this last week, um, but you're always being watched. It it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you need a break, if you feel like you want a break. um, They're always watching you. Um, 
And so you have to decide in advance. You have to you have to choose in advance what kind of role model that you're going to be and and how you're going to handle things. So and it does it means that like it's not just what you say, but it's what you do. Like, you know, how often did uh, our parents or people say to you, like, well, just do what I say. Don't worry about what I do. Uh, that doesn't work like that's it's 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 not going to work with kids. They're watching. They're 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 listening to you. They're watching your behavior. Um so it's not just telling your kids how to live, but it's showing them how to live. It's it's walking the walk and talking the talk, right? It's it's that same thing that you kind of have heard in other places. So, um, and don't expect behavior from your child that you're not willing to display yourself. So, you know, don't expect them to act in a certain way if you don't act in a certain way about something. You know, it it's always that thing when you first uh, watch your kids interact or say something and you'll see the parents, you know, something that's like completely unexpected and you'll kind of see parents like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just said that. Um, but, <laughs> or you're sitting in public and you hear a parent cussing up a storm and right. then they look at their kid and they go, hey, but you can't use that language. Right. Or something like that. Right. It's just very, you know. Right. And then they seem shocked when the kid uses the language. And it's like, well, but wait a minute. That's the language they hear all the time. So why mm. wouldn't they use that language? Like, why wouldn't they act the way that you're acting? I mean, I think one of the things to remember in that is like your kids are looking up to you like they want to be like you. That's part of the developmental stages. Like, you know, we I mean, when Tyler was little, like I can't he would ask me all the time, like, mom, can I marry you? Can I marry you, mom? Like, and he gets so mad when I would tell him no, because I'm already married to your dad. Like he would, I mean, he would cry at times, but that's developmentally appropriate. It's developmentally appropriate that your kids are watching you and they want to be like you. You are a role model to them, whether you want it or not. So, um, you have to always keep that in the back of your head. Um, and you have to remember that in the moments where you're mad and frustrated and irritated and you've had a bad day, like you might have to walk away sometimes and like catch your breath and take a moment to yourself because it does, it gets, it's hard. Like maybe you've been at work all day and you're exhausted and tired and you come home and it's like, you, you're not at your best self and that's okay. Like it, it happens to all of us. There's nobody that is at their best self all the time, but you but if you know that, if you remember that and keep that inside of you and know like, hey, I have to walk away from this for a minute or before I have this conversation, before I interact with this person, like I've got to walk away. I got to catch my breath. I got to take a moment to myself so I can come back in and treat this person or react in a way that I want my kids to see and to remember so that that's the way that they're going to react. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, one of the things that one of our pastors back in the Midwest, Mark Beeson, um, used to say is he would kind of say more is caught than taught. Um, and it's true, right? Like you just, it, it's one of those things for me. I tell you all the time that um, I have a really hard time with people that like they say something, you know, that they talk a really good talk. They're online on social media or they're writing things. And it's all about how you should treat people one way. But when you watch their actual behavior, it's exactly the opposite. And I struggle, I have a really hard time with that. Like it leads me to not want to listen or hear anything they say, because I'm like, your behavior doesn't match. Like, you know, so you can, we can all talk and say things we want to say all day long and, and talk a really good talk. But if our behavior doesn't match that, like people pick up on that and it, it, it just, it doesn't make sense in our brains. So, um, so yeah, in other words, our kids are going to watch us more than they're going to listen to us. So, you know, we might say the best things and have the best examples, but if we're not living that out in our everyday life, um, it's, they're going to remember the way that we've lived. They're going to remember how we've made them feel the things that they've seen, not what they've heard with their ears necessarily. Mm-hmm. So. Right. 
All right, number two is be willing to explain. So this really is choosing in advance that, you know, when your kid starts asking you questions, when they start demanding answers for things, when they start kind of pushing back on you, that you're willing to give them an explanation. So this kind of goes against, you know, the the stereotypical or the traditional view of a parent saying, because I said so, that's why, or do as I say and don't ask why, that whole approach. Um, and we kind of humbly disagree with that philosophy, um, and, and I'll kind of get into it here in a minute, but on some level, kids are always going to ask why, right? There's there's questions they have that either they want answers to, and, and there's times, don't get me wrong, there's times when their questions are simply them choosing to waste time, or there's times when their questions are just because they're being oppositional, or at the worst case scenario, you know, their questions are basically ways of defying what you're asking them to do. But there is a way to kind of win in this situation. And it's a it's really a simple two-step process um, that can kind of help us through that. And step one is to honor your child with an explanation. So when you're willing to, you know, lay down a rule or lay down an expl- explanation or an expectation rather, um, you know, and they're like, why or what, what, how come, you know, Basically, you being willing to explain it to them shows that not only that you think through your decisions, but that you're logical, right? That you've you have backup for your decisions. There's a reason behind it, and it also lets them know that you are um, thinking about them in a whole different way. That they are important to you. That they're important enough for you to take the time to explain. That you just don't flippantly say, "Just do it. I don't care. I don't need to explain myself to you." So really, it's kind of the difference between being a loving parent and just being a dictator, right? Dictators, that's how they work. They just lay the law down. And if you don't do it, boom, you're in trouble. Um, But a loving parent has rules, has guidelines, but is willing to explain themselves to their kids. And then step two, obviously, you return to the request and make sure that it gets done. So at this point, you know, you've honored them with the explanation. Now that they need now that they've heard it, they need to complete the requested behavior. So if they still have questions, you can let them know that you can talk about it later. But right now, the behavior just needs to happen. Now, obviously, this may change as kids grow. They're, you know, as you get a bit older and then maybe you have teenagers, you know, you may have pretty long and extensive conversations about your expectations for them. And that's fine. It's a it's all kind of age appropriate. You know, asking a very young kid to get down from the table is one thing. You know, discussing a curfew with a teenager might be a whole different thing. So that's really number two, right? Be willing to explain kind of your expectations for your kids. Yeah, this makes me think even, I mean, that's so good, but it makes me even think about like one of the things I've heard our kids say about like in the sports that they've been in and, and coaching that has happened to them is, you know, a coach will get mad or get frustrated for them about something and they'll yell at them and you didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. And one of the things I've heard my kids say over and over again is like, okay, great. I didn't do it right. Show me how to do it. Mm. Right. Like, don't just tell me I didn't do it right. And then leave it there. Like, show, like, tell me, explain to me, help me to understand. It's them asking that why question, right? Like they may, they may not be asking in the same way, but like, show me, explain to me why I didn't do that. Right. Show me how to do it. Right. And then ask me to do it again. But when you just yell at me because I didn't do it, 
or, you know, you don't give me an answer. Well, then I don't even know how to change. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do next. And then that's just frustrating for them. Right. Too. Yeah. So it just made me think of that example. So um, number three, be willing to teach. Um, this one is so simple, but yet so easy to forget. Right. Like in the heat of the moment, again, like when something is going down and there's a behavior happening, um, it's, it's just easy. It's easy to forget. So, but there's kind of, um, we kind of have this thing that we learned somewhere along the way and we've, uh, used over and over. And it's just something that's stuck with us that we think might be helpful for you guys. And we feel like it works in both teaching a skill and very short-term things. So something like brushing your teeth, which I'm going to explain in a minute. And it, it pulls itself over into raising your kids from being the babies that you take home from the hospital on day one or two into adults that you're going to launch out um, on their own. So it's kind of short-term and kind of a long-term thing. So so here's the formula that has worked really well for us um, and that we wanted to share with you guys. So it goes, it's kind of four steps. So the first one is I do, you watch. So I, as a parent, I'm going to do it. You as the child, um, you're going to watch. Um, I do, you help. You do it, I'm going to help you. And then you do it, I'm going to watch. Um so here's, let, let me illustrate this um, in some ways that might help you understand it a little more. So, br- so brushing in their teeth. So when they're little, right, you know that brushing teeth is important. It's a skill that you need to teach them. But you don't just hand your six-month-old, because that's kind of, it seems like the time they start now, and be like, here you go, good luck, here's the toothbrush. Like, they have no idea what to do with it, right? <laughs> so you start it out, and you you do it. So, right, like you have the toothbrush in your hand and you have it in their mouth. And maybe you're just letting them play with it and suck on it and bite on it. And you're kind of, when they get the teeth, you're kind of brushing them a little bit, but you are doing it. And they're just a part of, they're they're just there because you're in their mouth. Along for the ride. Right, yep, they're along for the ride. So you do that for a while. And then all of a sudden you do it and you kind of let them help. So you hand the toothbrush to them and you let them put it in their own mouth and you let them kind of bite on it and chew on it. And then you hand over hand, you put your hand on their little hand, right? And you show them like you're actually like doing the up and down motion. You're getting to all of their teeth, but you are, they're doing it, but you're helping them do it, right? With maybe, again, it might be hand over hand that you need to do that with, or you're kind of moving their hand around and then letting go, but you're doing it and they're helping you do it. And then at some point you kind of completely kind of let them do it, right? So you're like, okay, we're going to brush our teeth tonight. You hand them the toothbrush, maybe you put the toothpaste on it, or maybe they do that piece, and then you let them put the toothbrush in their mouth, and they're brushing their teeth, right? They're trying to get to all of them, and you're reminding along the way, like, hey, don't forget your back teeth. Like, don't forget your front teeth. You know, make sure you do it in this pattern. Don't brush too hard. Like, you're giving advice along the way as they're doing it. They're actually brushing their teeth. And then, like, they do it. And now you're just standing back and watching. You're saying, okay, like we're going to brush our teeth tonight, right? Like, don't forget. And you might go down to their bedroom as they're getting ready for bed and you might stand and watch them brush their teeth because like, you know, maybe you guys don't have these type of kids, but we had some kids in our house sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brushed my teeth. I brushed my teeth. Are you sure you brushed your teeth? Let me smell. Does your mouth smell like toothpaste? Like, you know. So you're just kind of standing there watching them do it. Um, And, but they're in charge. It's, it's something they're taking care of. It's their process. They're not going to do it right 100% of the time. And that's okay. You can every now and then give a little bit of feedback into that. But um, but yeah, it's not, it's something that they're doing completely. And you're just standing back watching. Um, 
And that's kind of a short-term skill. So you're going to teach them to do that when they brush their teeth, right? You're going to teach them to do that when they make their bed, when they do their laundry, like all of those things you're going to kind of walk. And it's going to be at different stages at different ages. It's, you know, when hopefully you're teaching them to cook or you're teaching them to unload the dishwasher, right? And at some point as a parent, it's like if they have chores and they're doing things, they might not do it the way you want it done. Like it might get done and you're like, mm, this isn't done to how I want it done. But doesn't that happen with your spouse sometimes? Like, don't you sometimes your spouse does something and you're like, well, that's not how I would have done it. You know, but at some point you just have to be like, it doesn't matter. It's done. And as long as it's done well enough that it's like, you know, they didn't just like, oh, I'm just going to do this halfway because, you know, I just want to get it done and I don't care about it. Like, you know, as long as it's done and it's done well enough, then it's like, okay, well, they did it and that's okay. It's not how I would do it, but it doesn't have to be done how I would necessarily do it. So, so that that's kind of, you know, the short-term skills. And then, you know, it's a long-term process too. So you're, again, you're constantly adding things into that. You start with the small things, you add in bigger things along the way, you know, you add in them getting themselves up and getting themselves to school, right? Like you're not, you know, as a kindergartner, you're not having them get up by themselves. You're not being set your alarm clock and get up. Like, no, you're doing that for them. But by the time they're a senior in high school, I'm not getting my kids up anymore. I'm not making them breakfast and lunch anymore. Like that's on them. Like that's a process they have to know because when I launch them, when they're out of my house, those are skills they have to have. So it's it's this long-term, right? So as Allie left, you know, and got ready to leave our house senior year, like by senior year, we had turned almost everything over to her. So we weren't in, you know, we weren't, we weren't doing really anything for her anymore. Besides I was making dinner because I made, I make a family dinner. That's what I do. But we were in the background watching, letting it all happen. And at times we'd pull in and say like, hey, we see this or we see that. What do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, but you kind of become more of a coach, like at that stage in life, right? You're kind of just standing back, kind of just watching. So um, yeah, so simple formula. I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. And then hopefully, there you go, launched into the skill and into adulthood down the road. <laughs> That's simple, right? That's simple. That's simple, for sure. <laughs> now, I just, as you were talking about Allie and the kind of reaching senior year and kind of, you know, knowing that she's launching and, and thinking, you know, it made us really think through a lot of things. Like, did we did we employ that formula correctly in enough areas to where we would launch her correctly? And, you know, one one of them that stands out that we had to kind of struggle with was the whole curfew thing, because, you know, with curfews, you make it. And they watch <laughs> when they're young, mm-hmm. they don't get a say in their curfew. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you walk through the different stages of that. And then at some point, senior year, you have to let them basically be setting their own curfew on some level yeah. so that they're they're able to kind of moderate their behavior and understand, you know, the consequences of staying out too late or whatever it is um, so that you can launch them well. And that's when you go back to not sleeping again. Remember, we talked about yeah. that before that. You don't sleep on their babies and then you don't sleep on their teenagers again because, yeah, so there's that. It's full circle. It is full circle. Yes. All right. Number four, be age appropriate. So this one kind of kind of piggybacks off of the being always on. Um, being age appropriate is deciding in advance um, that as you're explaining things to your kids along the way, that you're going to explain things at a level that they can understand. So you know, we're always in teaching mode, right? We're as parents, basically, you're constantly teaching your kids new skills, you're answering questions, you are, you know, modeling certain behaviors, 
Um, and you have to you have to do those things so that your kids can grow and mature. But remember, it's important that you don't give them all of the information one time and just call it good, right? We're teaching our kids to become adults. And in order for them to become adults, they need to understand adult concepts, but not when they're a toddler. So you're not going to explain, um, you know, a good illustration is like teaching somebody how to work on a car. You don't hand them the manual, you know, the technical manual to the car and then read through the whole manual and just expect them to know how to change the oil because you just read them the entire manual. No, you start with little pieces maybe changing the oil, maybe changing a tire. You, you go through little pieces along the way that they can digest and understand. And as they grow and mature, they learn more and more and more to where at some point they can disassemble an entire engine and put it back together again. So it's that kind of idea. So it's important to understand that that's kind of the way we teach our kids concepts along the way, right? Based on the stage of life that they're in. And it's really no different than this, right? Adults eat gourmet mac and cheese, but we make craft mac and cheese for our kids. We might eat creme brulee for ourselves, but our kids like uh, jello pudding pops or, you know, things like that. And it's the same with teaching adult concepts. So an obvious topic that comes out in this conversation is the topic of sex. So, you know, we understand the big picture when it comes to sex, but our kids are way too young to handle all of that knowledge at one time. So that's where, you know, small, simple explanations are important. And then the next conversation adds a little more information and then the next a little more information. And and really, you know, when we're talking about sex, it's an ongoing conversation that we have with our kids from from the very first conversation with the birds and the bees, you know, all through high school, um, just checking in every now and then. And, you know, a little bit more is added to the conversation um, as you go. So that's age appropriate uh, parenting and choosing kind of choosing that advance that you're going to do that. Yeah, that's good. Number five, simplify things. So one of the things that Daryl and I do on a pretty regular basis is we listen to other people. So we've talked about that before, right? We talked about that at the beginning of the podcast is we have other people in our life that uh, we listen to, that we watch, that we learn from. And I think that's good in anything. I mean, we do that in work, right? Like we know we don't have all, we, we don't have everything figured out. So you find other people in your field that are a little bit ahead of you or that learning different things and, you know, you learn from them. And so one of the people that we both listen to, mo no, mostly separately, but we still both listen to him is Andy Stanley. Um, and so uh, he had a recent message series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, um, where he offered kind of a simple way to teach kids good decision-making skills. Um, and he explained that it's hard at times to uh, say, to tell your kids, why something is right and why something is wrong. Like there, sometimes even we as adults don't really like, we don't even really know, right? I mean, I can remember there being times with our kids are like, well, why? Like, why, why are you telling me I can't do that? And sometimes literally as a parent, I would sit there and be like, hmm, I don't, hmm, why am I telling you you can't do that? And to be honest, there were times I went back because my kids tease me all the time that my answer when I didn't really know was, what did I always say? I would say, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Like, <laughs> so, we'll see. so they would ask a question and I would say, we'll see. And that for me was because at the moment I didn't have the answer. Like either one, I didn't know why my answer was going to be yes or no. Like I, I couldn't explain it to them and I knew they were going to ask for an explanation 
Or I didn't want to make the decision right then and there. Like I needed time to process it. Now they would say anytime I said, we'll see it meant no. That's what they would say. But I don't know that that was true. But there were times that I would make a clear cut decision and then I would, one of them would push me on it and I would come go back and think about it. Or maybe Daryl would come up to me and be like, I don't understand why you made that decision. And then I'd have to think about it and go back and be like, okay, I was wrong. I made the wrong decision. Like, I don't, I don't know why I made it like that. This is maybe why this is what I was thinking, but I've rethought it, you know? So, um, so sometimes like, it's hard, it's hard to explain those things. It's hard. Kids are going to put you in a spot where you're going to have to make split decisions. And I think they do it on purpose a lot of the times because they know if they give you time to think about it, that it may not go in their favor. So, um, but so anyway, so, but at the same time, like we, we have to take, right, Daryl talked about that adult content and adult decisions, but we have to make it simple and relevant for our kids. So we have to take the decision that we're making, the reasons that we're making those decisions, and we kind of have to dumb it down sometimes and just make it simple so that our kids understand. Um, and Andy kind of suggested that we can um, teach them to ask the maturity questions. So simply put, it's bas- the basic question is, is it wise? So we've all heard that before, right? Like, so it's, this is not like something brand new, but it was something that kind of made us think like, oh, this is an interesting way um, to think about this. So so Andy kind of talked about that he taught his kids to ask it in a very specific way um, so that they would view it from a, a couple of different perspectives. So it would go something like this. In the light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? So, and I can remember him talking about like how he, this came from his dad, I think is what he said is Mm, this was, this is what his dad would always say. And he's like, it would make me so angry. I'd be like, no, I don't, don't ask me what the, just tell me, just tell me what you want me to do. Like, because it puts it back on them. Right. But it's asking them to think about their past, their current circumstances and what they see for themselves. So it's not always you making the decision you're helping and guiding along the way, but it's, it's really kind of putting it back in their court. Yeah. It's kind of giving them a formula for making good decisions in the future. So, you know, when you're not around. Yeah. 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 It's always helping them to kind of think through. So, so it's looking at your past, um, should help you see similar situations and not repeat bad decisions. Right. So that's why we're asking like in light of my past experience. So look back, look at the things you've made decisions about before the, the bad decisions that you've made and like, do I want to repeat those bad decisions? And then looking at your current or present situation should help you decide if the behavior is harmful to you or to those around you. So where I'm at right now, what is going on in my life, the people that I'm hanging out with, the situation that I'm in, what I'm doing in school, like, right, that's my present situation. Like what is happening to me today? And then looking honestly at your future, so should help provide you helpful suggestions for current behavior or whether or not your decision could have a negative impact on your hopes and dreams. So, you know, it's, is it wise? So is this thing that I want to do, is it wise based on where I've been? Is it wise based on where I'm currently at? And is it wise based on where I hope to be someday? You know, and I mean, to be honest, this is, this is good information for adults to Mm -hmm. use, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. have, and I, I mean, I think he used it in that context too. Like it's it's really information for anybody, but if you have to make a really big decision in your life, like to really look at all of those things and hopefully that will help you come to the decision that you need to come to. But again, it's it's putting that in your kids and teaching your kids that all along the way because at some point as they become adults, then hopefully they'll think that to themselves. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is something like I need to think through these three questions before I kind of get to make this decision. So. Right. Good, good. All right. Number two, the just love culture. 
So another thing that you can do proactively is to develop the just love culture in your house. So we didn't we didn't make this proactive idea number five in the previous section, although it could have been, but it really deserves its own section because it's really a big enough deal um, to have its own section. So, so let's break it down. In the just love culture, there are two elements, right? There's justice and there's love. Kind of two, two sides to the same coin, if you look at, the, at it that way. And the explanation or the, the way I want to describe it is, is kind of like gravity, almost like it's a universal constant that needs to exist in order for our world to keep moving um, in the right direction. Let's just put it that way. Um, so how do we know this? Well, if we go back to the way that God interacts with us, we see the exact same two things as part of his nature. So when he interacts with us as our parent, um, you know, there's a love side and then there's a justice side. And so if, if it's good enough for God, why wouldn't it be good enough for us? Right? Like when we, when we're parenting, when we parent our children, why wouldn't that same formula work for us? So I think when we look at God, we're absolutely on board with the concept of love, right? When we think about God as a loving God, it's like everyone's in favor of that. But then we tend to cringe a bit when we talk about the justice side of God or God being a God of justice. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know that I want to talk much about that, even though we understand the loving side is, is awesome. But think about it this way. There's, there are really two pieces to this, and each are necessary in order for things to go smoothly. So I don't know if you've heard these um, kind of phrases or these explanations before, but justice without love is nothing more than a dictatorship, right? It's a it's a dictator relationship where there's no love involved. It's just, here's the rules, do them or else. And then the opposite is also true. So love without justice really isn't love at all. Like if all you had is love, but you weren't, you didn't have any boundaries in place, you didn't have any um, justice when when something went wrong or when when a person was harmed, then there really is no love at all. So how did, you know, if we if we take this back to then our parenting, how does this play out? So this is where we kind of get to interface with that universal law as parents, right? We put boundaries in place and we let our kids know what lines they should and shouldn't cross. So this is the justice side of being a parent, right? And nobody questions this when it comes down to simple things, right? Like when you tell a toddler not to touch an open flame, right? To stay away from the uh, the stovetop, like no one questions that. Well, of course you would do that. Every good parent would do that. But on some level, that is a justice thing, right? You just set a law, you set a rule for the kid to keep them safe. That makes total sense. But then we get a little squeamish when it comes to talking about you know, setting standards and setting expectations in other areas of our kid's life and holding them to that. So rules and expectations that aren't necessarily related to, you know, immediate danger or harm, at least not harm in a physical sense, are areas where we start to get a little nervous. And then there's the whole love side, right? And this is huge because like we said, justice without love is a dictatorship. It's all rules and no concern for the other person. So love has to be a part of the equation and not just superficially, right? Our kids need to know and feel our love. They need to know that it's genuine and that it's constant and it's always going to be there. 
So I, this brings up kind of a, a podcast I listened to recently uh, from Granger Community Church. It was called Parenting in the 21st Century. Um, just a good reminder of some of the things we're talking about. was able to kind of get some concepts from that series to help kind of flesh this out as well. Um, but I thought there was a great explanation of this just love culture um, in one of the episodes. And so they explain that God does the following with us. So first, he loves us. Second, he warns us. Third, he lets us. And then four, he loves us again. So this is an awesome way of kind of viewing the just love culture because it packages the justice part with love, right? So love is at the first and love follows right after the justice piece. Um, it's laid out perfectly. It's the it's the same concept as the just, just love concept, but with a very important hierarchy in place that God's justice is actually wrapped in his love. So if you kind of walk through it first, God loves us and he lets us know how special we are to him. Then he lays out his plan for our life, both the good things to do and the things to stay away from. And then he gives us freedom of choice. So he allows us to make the decision as to whether we want to follow or not. And he allows the consequences to happen, you know, for poor decisions. But then after that happens, even after we mess up, after we make bad decisions, he's right there to kind of take us back and love us right where we're at. And that's a perfect example kind of of what we're talking about. It's an amazing picture of his love for us, but also how we love our kids or how we should parent our kids. So we have to have the justice piece, but it needs to be wrapped in love or it just doesn't work. So let's talk a little bit about how this works or what this looks like in real life. So uh, in our family, you know, we, we have always kind of had that idea that love needs to be first, right? I mean, I feel like that's kind of something that we, we spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about. Um, and so for our family, love looked like physical touch. So hugging, kissing, arms around our kids during difficult times, uh, just laying on the couch together, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, just a constant reminder that we all need appropriate human contact. Um, it looked like words of affirmation, um, open dialogue, transparent conversations, you know, asking them about their opinions and, and trying to pull things out of them that, that were important to them, doing things that were important to them, showing interest in their activities and, and things that they're interested in. And so that's really kind of the foundation, right? That's the, the base of creating a loving environment uh, within your family. And then next, similar to, you know, God's part about warning us, you know, we also had to set boundaries, set rules, set expectations, um, you know, and along with those expectations, I think we had conversations about consequences, right? Like we told them, you know, when they were really young, spanking was something that we were going to do. And so we told them in advance that, you know, this leads to a spank or this leads to a timeout or this leads to removal of privileges, those sorts of things. And then obviously when one of our kids broke the agreement, we followed through with the consequence. And then, um, you know, after the consequence, we just left the room and let them cry it out, right? No, no, <laughs> actually, no, we didn't do that. That's the easy thing to do, right? 
give your kid a spank or put them in timeout and then just walk away and let them deal with it. But that's actually the wrong way to handle it. So after handing out the consequence, you have this time where you can have conversations, right? You can talk to them about the behavior, about the consequence, um, you know, pull it out of them. What, what could you have done differently? What could you do different next time? And then after that conversation, you always go back to the piece, the most important piece that you still love them, that nothing they do will ever change that. You know, we love you no matter what, even if justice needs to occur, right? Even if a consequence needs to be handed out, um, we still love you no matter what. And I think one example of that was one of our kids, uh, Rachel came home from church one day and she had like this stuffed animal or something that she found at church. Yeah, I don't think we noticed it like right away. I think it was something like we kind of noticed a few days later, like, where did that come from? Like, I don't ever remember seeing that before. Like, wh what is that? And where did you get that from? And she, of course, like any good child, you know, tried to lie her way <laughs> because, you know, said anybody, right? Like, that's what uh -huh. any good kid tries to do, right? Is kind of, I, I just, I found it at church. I found it at church. Like, I, it just, it was there. And I, I just, I found it. Like, you know, or they gave it to me. I can't remember if it was I found it or they gave it to me. It was like, it was one of those things. And But I think we pushed it and, yes. found, and realized that it was taken. Yes. It wasn't something that she was given. Yes. Yeah. So we kept pushing at her, like, what do you mean? Where did you find it? Like, or who gave it to you? And how, how did that work? And it's somebody stuffed animal. Like they just let you have it. Like, did you ask, was it ever anybody else's in the class? And then, you know, it all starts to unravel as you start to ask more questions, you know, because they're, they've caught themselves and they don't have answers to those questions because it's all a lie anyways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it, it just starts to unravel and you very quickly realize, and then, you know, it all comes out like, no, I actually took it. It was just laying there and I really, really wanted it. And so I just took it. And we're like, you just took it. You just decided it was going to be yours. <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, so yeah, so then it was like- So yeah, it's a good explanation yeah. or a good example of, you know, Rachel knows that we love her. Stealing was one of the conversations we had had. That's not appropriate. We don't do that. There's consequences if you mm -hmm. do. And so she decided to do it anyways. And so we handed out the consequences, which were, I forget, in that situation. It was, so Rachel is one of ours that uh, loves family time, loves to be with other people. You know, uh, sending her to her room is like the absolute worst thing you could ever do because it's like, well, but what am I going to do in my room? Like, I'm it's not with people. Missing out. Right. She's and we were having a family night. <laughs> Friday nights was family night in our house when the kids were little. And so it was a night of like dinner and movies and time to, or games and dessert. And so we just said, like, you're going to miss family night tonight. Like, you know, it's well, one, you're going to have to go back to church and you're going to have to apologize and take the stuffed animal back and explain to your teachers what you did and why you did it. And that's going to have to happen. That can't ha happen right now but you're also going to miss family night tonight. And she was devastated. Like you would have thought that the world was, ending. Either, yeah, that we told her we were going to give her away. Like, I mean, she just was, I mean, she, <laughs> and it's funny to think about now because we can laugh with her about it now. Cause she remembers, like she remembers it, but she mm. literally stood at the top of the stairs and just cried while we had family night. And it like, I mean, I remember like sitting there and it killing me, like, you know, to sitting there watching, to, to watch that happen, to watch her like 
it was justice. Like the justice piece had to be delivered, but it killed me on the inside. Like it was just like, oh my gosh, this is, I think it was as hard on her or hard on me as it was on her. Like, cause mm-hmm. I wanted her to be a part. Like I knew that, you know, like, oh, well, I think she's probably learned from it. It's, you know, I kept having to like convince myself, like, no, this is part of what we have to do. We have to teach her this lesson. But she literally was, I mean, she was so upset and just like, it was like, yeah, it was, it was the worst thing for her. And it was like so hard for me. So, and I think like, for me, that's one of the reminders for me is like, you know, when we go back to like God and that there is that justice peace, like, I mean, that's, God's hope for us is that that doesn't have to happen. Like he doesn't sit up in heaven and be like, ha ha ha, look what's happening to them. Like, that's not what I believe because when I have to hand out consequences to my kids, there's times that it hurts me more that it like makes me sadder than I think sometimes it it makes them, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that when we have to tell them like, we're going to have to do this or we're going to have to take this away or you're going to miss out or, you know, um, the times where it would like their feelings would get really hurt or whatever. It's like it, I would sometimes literally sit and cry with them. Like, you know, I'm like, I don't want to have to do this, you guys. But at the same time, I don't feel like I'm a good parent if I just let this slide because then I'm teaching you that it's okay. And it's not like that behavior is not okay. And I don't want to send you into adulthood with you thinking that that behavior is okay. Right. So it's tough though. Yeah. So, so after family night, after she missed that Mm -hmm. and, you know, taking the stuffed animal back and apologizing and all that kind of stuff, you know, it went back to the whole, we still love you. Right. Mm -hmm. It it goes all the way back to the whole love piece again. And that, you know, because you stole, we didn't sell you. We didn't take you back to the Mm -hmm. store you know, and give you back, you know, we love you. You're still our kid. And, you know, we just, we walked with that or we walked through that with you so that you would learn an important lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we tell our kids and we still tell them, you know, they're mostly adults, two adults and one that's almost there, you know, is no matter what you do, no matter what decisions you make in life, we may not agree. We may not like them, may not be decisions that we would choose but we always love you no matter what. It, it doesn't matter. And that's kind of how like I picture God talking to us, like no matter what decisions you make, no matter the path that you choose it may not be the path I would have hoped for you or wished for you, but I still love you. Like I'm still here. All you got to do is reach your hand out and, and I'm right here, you know? Um, and so that's, I don't know, that's what we've always told our kids and that's what we believe. But I think one of the things like I want to say, and this is like, I, I want to just acknowledge the fact that not everybody maybe who's listening to this podcast grew up in a home like this. You may not have grown up in a home um, where love was the primary thing. You know, mm. you may have grown up in a place where, you yeah. know, it was all about the consequences and it was like, I'm going to teach you a lesson and you've got to learn this lesson because if you're going to be the right person or you're going to be a good adult or you're going to be successful, like this is the lessons that you have to learn. And so I just, I don't know, there's something that I just, I want to acknowledge that. And I want to say that I'm sorry and um, that I wish it wasn't that way for you. But to also say to you, like, I believe that you can make that change, that you can you can change that cycle in your family's life. And maybe that's been a cycle that's been there forever. You know, maybe um, consequences equated to physical or verbal, verbal abuse in your house. And that's not okay. Um, but you you can make that change. You can be different for your own kids and you can stop the cycle right here, right now with your kids. You can say, I'm done. That's not how we're going to handle things. 
Um, you know, it's not, it's not what I want to do. It's not how I want to handle things. Um, and, and I, you can make the change and it might mean there needs to be therapy involved and it might mean you need to go talk to other people. It might mean sometimes you have to literally walk away from the situation because here's what I've noticed is most of the time when parents, when there's justice handed out so often it's done in anger, right? So often we get angry, we get frustrated, we get irritated because most of the time you're not handing out a consequence because they didn't obey the very first time, at least for us. I mean, most often a consequence was like, you know, it's like it was maybe twice. And then it was like, okay, I've told you and you're not listening. So we're done. Like, you know, I, the, I, I explained this to you. I gave you a warning, right? Like we talked about that. Like God warns us. I gave you a warning and now you've decided to not listen to my warning. So now here's the consequence. Um, but that has to be done at a very methodical, like, I'm not doing it because I'm mad at you. I'm not doing it because I'm irritated at you. I'm doing it because this is what I told you I was going to do. And we need to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen. But I don't know. I've just witnessed it so often. I've witnessed it at the park. I've witnessed it in different situations where there's just, it happens in anger and frustration. It doesn't come out in love. And that's hard. Like, it's hard and it's heartbreaking. And you watch the kids' faces because then they're like, oh, well, do my parents still love me? Like, I mean, that's the first thing I see in their eyes is like, oh, well, I must not be lovable because of the way that this is being handled, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I just, I don't know. I just want to say to you that um, you can make the change, that we believe in you and um, that it can be different. It can be different for you and for every generation after you. So, um, yeah, we believe that you can do that. So, okay, guys, um, moving on to number three, um, making your home a safe place place. So this is something that we're pretty passionate about um, and that uh, we may not be the most popular for in our kids' eyes. Um, but I I do believe this is something we decided in advance when we talked about that. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it was. Yeah, at the beginning, that this is kind of something we said, like, our home will always be a safe place for our kids to come back to. Again, it goes back to like, we we're going to love you no matter what. We're going to love you no matter what decisions you make. There's going to be things in our house that aren't allowed. There's going to be things in our house that like behaviors that we're not okay with. But again, it it we may not we may say to you you're not going to do that here, but when you come back to our house, how we feel about you, how we treat you isn't going to change. You are always welcome. Your friends are always welcome here. So, um so yeah, it's it is choosing ahead of time and being proactive and making your home a safe place. Um and it's funny because Back in Indiana, um, I think Daryl has told you that, you know, that's where we're from, that there were actually places around town um, designated as safe places. And so you would drive down the street and you'd see businesses or organizations um, that would have a sign on them and it would say a safe place. And basically what those were is those were kind of havens um, for kids um, in crisis. So kids that were running away, kids that were um, at risk of abuse or neglect. So instead of them just going out on the streets, them being like, I can't take this, I'm out of my house, um, and going out on the streets and going who knows where and getting involved in who knows what, um, there were they could find these places and go to these places. Um, and there would be people that would work there um, that, you know, were workers in the mental health field and, um, you know, they would get services wrapped around those kids Um and it was, you know, a, a safe place for those kids to be um, in the moment. They'd find shelter. You know, they would just do all the things they needed to do to help put those kids back on track, um, you know, and to be like, we are a safe place that you can come and we're going to help you and we're going to walk with you. And it may not be a, a short journey. It may be a long journey, but that's OK that we're here. 
Um, and so what we're asking you is like, what about your house? Like, can you make your house a safe place for your kids? And, and I would even add for your kids' friends, like, can your house be the house where they know that they're seen and that they're cared about and that they're loved, no matter the decisions that they make, no matter the questions they come to the table to, to you with, no matter what their past has looked like and no matter like where they're headed in their future. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of looks like this for us. So we as adults and kids at the same time, we're going to we're at times we're going to do things. We're going to try things. We're going to act in a way that goes against what we believe to be true and right. Right. Um, we, we all do it. Like it's that whole thing that you wish, you know, you wish you could tell your kids like, no, 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 no don't do that. Don't do that. Like, don't like we know we've seen we've experienced just don't step into that. But we understand that's not going to happen. They have to learn along the way. They have to face the consequences, right? They Sometimes they just have to try things to really understand. Um, but, you know, what we say is that they can always return home and be safe. So when you do the things that you're not going to do them in our house, but you can always return back, you can always come back to mom and dad um, and be safe. So, um so kind of let's look at it a little bit. Let's kind of like take it apart and let's kind of look at really what that means. So it's important to understand that this applies to the adults in the home as well as the kids, right? So this is like when you are going to make your house a safe place, it doesn't mean that like, oh, well, mom and dad get to do X, Y, and Z. Well, and you only get to do A, B, and C, right? Like, nope, it, it applies to everybody in the house. So um, you have to have rules and expectations that are clearly defined in order for this to work. Um and you have to assume that your kids are going to make poor choices. So um, FYI, like big, big flashing sign, understand that your kids' brains are not fully developed until they hit about 24 years old. So they are going to make bad decisions. You should expect it. It's going to happen. It, it just is. Like they, the prefrontal cortex of their brain, which helps them to see like consequences in the future. It helps them to look into their future and understand if I do this, if this happens, then this is going to be the consequence. That's not fully developed. It's not there. So it's not that they're sometimes, I mean, sometimes, yes, they're making a choice, but understand that like biologically brain wise, it just doesn't connect the same way that it connects for you and me. So, um, so yeah, they're going to make poor choices. And one of the things we always said is like, we hope they do it while they're in our house. Like we want them to make some poor choices while they're under our roof, why we can be that like safe place. And we're still going to be the safe place when they're adults, but when they're living with you day in and day out, right? Like you can help guide and direct and walk with them in that. Um, so fourth, the requirement is that these choices and behaviors occur um, outside of the home. Um, so again, because you're not going to allow certain things in your house. Um, and finally, there's an unwritten rule that there is safety, love, and acceptance when you return um, when you return to the house. So let, let's kind of talk through uh, what some of these things were for us. Um, what are some of the things we saw, you know what I mean? Um, that kind of made Daryl and I at times like step back and be like, what in the world is going on? Did we enter some sort of like other universe that we weren't really aware of? Um, so, you know, we watched families that did the um, exact opposite of this. You know, they allowed their kids to do illegal um or dangerous things from home. And a lot of times you'll hear parents say like, well, they're going to do it anyways. Like it's going to happen. So I'm just going to let them do it here so that I can, so that I can watch them and so that I can make sure that they're safe. Um, you know, but like, so one of those things, right. Is, is like 
is drinking. It can be underage drinking, right? Is like, well, I know they're going to do it. They're going to go someplace and they're going to do it. So, well, I'm just going to, we're just going to do it here. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to let them do it here. I'm going to, it's fine because I can watch them and make sure that they're safe. But, but what does that say to your kids? Like, what are they learning? What are they learning in those situations? So some, it can be somewhat confusing to them when they're at their age where they need to understand the love and justice concept. Right. So like, this is illegal. I mean, ultimately, like what you're doing, there's a reason for it. it. It's not like underage drinking. There's a reason. It's not just like, oh, well, you know. Yeah, we just picked a random age yep. and decided, eh, you can't drink until we Yeah, age. yep, we just decided. Again, people, prefrontal vortex, like not there yet. So we're going to hand them a bunch of alcohol and then be like, here you go, which takes away inhibitions, what makes them not think anyways. Like, and we're just going to, oh, let's just add to it. And just help them along the way to not think logically and to make really poor choices, right? So, um, so yeah, for us, like some of those things, we're like, we're not like we're not. You're not going to drink in our house if you're underage. So um, you're just. It's not something we're going to allow. Your friends aren't going to come over here and have a party, and we're going to supply the alcohol. Um, and part of that for us is because we love you too much to let that happen, and we know that it's not good for you. Um, another part of it is like. I understand that, oh, I can watch them and I can make sure that nothing happens. But are you going to stay up all night long? Like are, when you do that, are you going to commit to the fact that you're going to sit by the front door with keys in your hand or you're going to take everybody's keys and you're going to lock them away someplace? Because the minute you decide not to do that, the minute that you get lax and you go to bed and some kid decides to leave in the middle of the night, because again, they're not thinking clearly and they they get into an accident and they die or they kill somebody else. I don't want to live with that for the rest of my life. And I don't want to put my kids in a situation to live with that for the rest of their life. So um, that to me is just like, that's protecting my kids is what that's protecting and protecting their futures and the future of their friends. So, you know, we've also said that we're not going to allow drug use in our house. Um, So again, are they, could they try it someday? They might, um, but they're not going to do it. It, That's not going to be something that they're allowed to do in our home. Um, And co-ed sleepovers. I remember this being like, something, um, that, oh my gosh, like, I think it started freshman year for Allie when we were still in Indiana and we started noticing like parents were just allowing co-ed sleepovers. And I was like, what, what are we doing? Like what in the world? I, I literally was like, I was blown away. Like, why again, would you allow that? Like, you're just asking for trouble. Like they don't need to be sleeping over with each other at the age of 16. Doesn't need to be, or the age of 15. Doesn't need to be happening. No reason. Have the guys come over and hang out or the girls come over and hang out. And then at a certain point, the opposite sex goes home. Like they don't need to. Why? Do, why? Why do they need to be there all night? Nothing good is going to come out of that. Probably like for the most part, it's just not going to be good. So. So but back to the point. So those are things for us. But what does a safe place look like for you and your family? Um, and we know like we all have different beliefs and it's probably, um, going to look a little bit different for every family because we all come from life in different aspects and we all believe in different things. Um, but here's, uh, just a few things that might make it on your list. Um, so home is a safe place because the world isn't always safe, right? So, um, actually the world is really harsh and hard sometimes. Um, but, but home is a place that, you know, you can always come back to the world is not to protect you but we're going to protect you and we're going to protect each other. So we have your best interest, your, your, uh, friend's best interests. Like we have each other's best interests at hearts and we have your younger siblings, best interests at hearts too. Right. Um, we're going to choose to not have drugs, alcohol, or tobacco in our home. Like, um, we're just not, it's just not something that, um, we're going to do. We're not going to tolerate violent behavior in our home. Um, 
So, you know, there's one thing messing around, you know, um, playing around, things like that. But the minute that it hits a level and I'm super sensitive to this, um, but it hits a level where it's like somebody says stop and the person doesn't stop. To me, that's violent behavior. Like if somebody has told you to stop and when you say when you don't stop, like, no, we're done. Like, you know, and so we like we don't allow that. And I mean, I we kind of even take that to like, I mean, that would happen sometimes with Tyler and the girls, they'd be wrestling and, you know, things like that. And one of like Allie and Tyler could wrestle and wrestle and both be having fun for a really long time at it. Um, <laughs> and one of them, Tyler would normally end up frustrated as a little kid because Allie could always kind of take him down and put him in his place. And he'd get mad and angry about that. Cause he thought for some reason he was supposed to rule the world. Um, but Rachel, on the other hand, she would start it with him because I think she thought in her head this would be fun, but she hated it and she didn't like it and she would get hurt and she would tell him to stop. And he at times just didn't know, right, like when when enough was enough. And so, um, you know, there were times that we would have to say, like, you're done. Like, enough, she has told you to stop. You're done. Get off of her. Don't touch her anymore. Like, you know, um, but. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's physical, obviously, like mm-hmm. wrestling and things like that. But I it just occurred to me that that even that can even be emotionally or verbally. Like if, if the two kids are in an argument and they're, and it's getting heated and one of them's just like, stop, stop. I can't, like, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that's abusive to just keep going, keep going, keep going and and not honor that request, you know, to stop. Give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we choose to not like use strong language in our home. So we weren't born yesterday. People, we, I mean, I can remember back to my high school days and the words that I used and the things that I said. Um, and I'm not stupid and dumb enough to think my kids don't use those words. It's actually funny. Like they'll sometimes say something like they'll get mad or something will come out of their mouth and they just kind of look at us like, oh, oops. And I'm like, you think we've never heard the words before? Like we've heard every word you have in your vocabulary. Well, most of them because, you know. <laughs> Except the ones they make up. At right. Their age. Yeah. You know, we're just not cool anymore. But uh, but we just don't. It's not a way we communicate with our kids. We don't call you know, we don't call our kids names. We don't use cuss words at them. We it's just not the way we we talk to them. It's not the way we talk about other people in our home. Um, so we, you know, really try to watch um, the television and movies like we we just really kind of try to we're conscious of kind of what we're putting into their heads and their minds. And obviously this changes as they get a little bit older. Right. And that, I remember that being a weird transition for us. And it still sometimes is really awkward because we now have adult children. Right? We have a 20 year old in our house. Like mm-hmm. so we can sit and watch things with her that, you know, sometimes we let her pick and, you know, and and she's pretty conscious of it and wouldn't pick like, I mean, there's one, I can't remember what movie it was, but I was like, Allie, like, can I watch this movie with you? And she's like, mom, no, I'm not. I just don't like, well, I just let's not like, you know, so I was like, she's, you know, conscious of like, I just don't want to watch this movie with you. And I, it wasn't even something that bad, but I think it was just going to make her uncomfortable. But we're just, we just keep an eye on that stuff, you know, because we have a 16 year old in our house who is a boy who we understand, you know, where 16-year-old boys, their behavior and their thoughts and their patterns can lead them. And so we don't want to put something in front of him that's just going to make his mind go down a path that it's already, it already tends to happen anyways, but why would we stick it in front of him to make him think about it even more, you know? Um, So, you know, we pay attention to the music that we listen to. Again, I understand that they don't listen that they or that they do listen sometimes to explicit music. I again, I wasn't born yesterday. I understand that. And they're so funny that, you know, I'm sure it's probably like this too in your car, but in our car, it's no longer about where you sit. 
it's about who can play the music. It's about who can have the ox, like, you know, so, um, who gets to play what music? Um, and, but they all have playlists that they won't listen to when we're in the car with them, you know? And I tease Tyler about it all the time because we can hear Tyler coming in the neighborhood. Sometimes his music just like thought, I mean, it's become a joke. Like we're like, Oh wait, 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 listen, listen Oh, Yep. Tyler's home. Like, because you can hear him coming through the neighborhood with his music thumping. And so I'll get in the car to go someplace with him and he'll be driving and he'll put on like Michael Jackson or put on, you know, like eighties music, you know, his eighties playlist. And I'm like, dude, let's listen to your music. Like I, where's the music that you listen to? And he's like, yeah, mom, we're just not going to do that. And I'm like, why? You know? And it's, it's just because it's not something we've allowed in our home. It's not something we play in our home, you know, um, because we're just setting that tone for them. Again, like we understand you're going to make different choices than us, but this is a safe place. Right. So, um, we choose to not have pornography in our home, not something we do, not something we allow. Um, and so those are just a few things. Like those are a few things for us. Um, there might be completely different things for you. I'm sure there's other things for us, um, that we haven't thought of, you know, but, um, and here's what I would say to that is I think so many parents get caught up in, and the reason they allow those things is for two reasons. One, they want to be friends with their kids. Mm. So, and if they tell their kids no in those things, then it's like, oh, well, my kid's going to be mad at me or they're going to get frustrated or they're not going to like me. Your job they're right not now, think I'm cool enough. Yeah, they're not going to think I'm cool. That's not your job. You're not their friend. You're their parent. Later on, hopefully we get to be their friends. But right now, my job is to be their parent. And I tell them that all the time. My job is to love you and to protect you. So when they ask me, why can't I do that? Why aren't I allowed? Because my number one job is to protect you. So nobody else in the world is going to do it but me. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Um, And two, like, so it's because you want to be liked and you want them to be cool with their friends. Like, that's the other reason, right? Like, you do those things and you allow those things in your house because, well, if I allow all of their friends to come now, all of a sudden they're cool. They're the popular ones at school. Everybody wants to be around them. But here's what I'm going to tell you, you guys. Like, we have kids that want to be in our home. We have kids that when they come here, like, literally they'll sit down on our couch and they'll say, like, oh, my gosh, I've missed being here. And I believe it's because they know they can come here and that they're not going to be judged and they're not like we're not going to grill them and, you know, tell them all the horrible things they've done, even if we know that they've done it, that they come here and that they're seen and that they're loved and that it's safe. And they know they can be who they are as they need to be it in our home. And that is something that like it just I mean, it it just makes my heart, my mama heart, like so incredibly happy that I want kids here because I tell Daryl all the time, like if they're not here, they're somewhere. If they're not in our safe home, they're in somebody's home. So I want it to be here. I want it to be with us. Um, and so you can have it. You don't have to do all the things to make your kid popular and have your kid like you. You can actually be the popular parent by being that safe place for them and their friends. So, yeah, I've totally seen that with a number of the kids who come over. They, it's just something. It's a weird thing. They just recognize wholesome, a wholesome environment, mm-hmm. right? Where where they know nothing bad's going to happen. They know that they're probably not going to have to make a decision, a split decision about whether something's right or wrong. Like, mm-hmm. should I be here because this movie seems a little inappropriate or, you know, um, oh, the parents are drinking. Uh, you know, is this going to get weird later in the night? Right. Kind of a yep. Thing. Yep. Just there's just a lot of things. I think the kids come over and they they just feel that they they're able to have open conversations. Yep. The You know, the parents are talking to the kids and the kids are able to talk to the parents. And sometimes the topics are a little weird, like you're talking about relationships and dating and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. 
I would never have that conversation with my parent. Why mm-hmm. are you guys having these conversations? And I think it's just, yeah, you can just see how some kids just see that and they're like, wow, this is interesting. And and they end up coming back over and they mm-hmm. want to be here and they become like, almost like they become one of your kids. Yeah. I mean, so. kids, like kids want that. They need that in their lives and they may not tell you that, but they, like they do. And they tell you by coming back over and over and over mm-hmm. again. You know what I mean? And by, I mean, we've had conversations with some of our kids' friends that I know they're not having those conversations at home. So, I mean, they've told us flat out, like, I would never talk to my parents about this, you know? But it like for us, it's just like, we're here. We love you. We care about you. We're not going to judge you. We don't, it doesn't matter to us. Like, you know, and so, yeah, good stuff, important stuff. Be a safe home. You guys be a safe place. I promise it'll, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It pays off. Yes. All right. We've been going for a while over (laughs) an hour. So let's land the plane. Uh, This week, walk through the following three questions. First, how proactive have you been with your parenting? So are there some things that you kind of need to think through and put in place right now or things that you can kind of plan on um, before they even become a thing? Number two, uh, have you ever thought about the concept we talked about, the just love culture concept? Um, If not, what needs to change in your environment? So does there need to be a little bit more love in your household or is it way too much love and you need to raise the bar a little bit and set some, some expectations for your kids? And then finally, number three, is your home a safe place? So if not, like if some of the things we talked about really spark something in you and you're like, oh man, my house is not like that, then what could you do this week in order to change it for the better, for it to become one for your kids? So that's it. There you have it. Another episode down. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, we love to uh, get to do this with you. Uh, next week, we're going to get all up in your face. So we're going to talk about, or we're going to ask you to sell your helicopter. So what would it look like for you to stop being a helicopter parent? Uh, until then, have a great week. Uh, Tam, thanks for doing this again with me. Always. It's fun. All right. And keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.